All right, McFarland, McFarland Energy, thank you so, so much for sponsoring the Brad Foe Show. And this is a very special Brad Foe Show because we were able to track down a player and a person that, to be perfectly honest with you, we've been trying to get for a while. So Rick Porcello is the guy that we were trying to track down. And Rick Porcello is the guy who was on the podcast today making news, uh, catching up, reminding us why Rick Porcello is always a good time on the podcast. Veteran of the, the Bradfoe show from uh, such educational films as podcasts with two different podcasts at Twin Peaks down at Fort Myers with Joe Kelly. Uh, who could forget those? A staple in the podcast world. And... Obviously, some great memories with the Red Sox. A lot of good interviews, a lot of good times, a lot of good memories. And then he went to the Mets. That's the last time that anyone saw Rick Porcello playing in 2020. Since then, we have not seen Rick Porcello. We, we've heard a little bit from Rick Porcello. I know that I had talked to him briefly. Uh, nothing about why he's not playing or why he didn't play. I know Chad Jennings of the Athletic caught up with him about Garrett Whitlock's number, which we talk about on this podcast. But really, nothing about how or why he chose to do what he has been doing for the last couple of years. This guy is a young guy. I mean, he is a young guy. He is only, as we sit here right now, he is only thirty three years old. Thirty three years old, and. Yeah, he had some down years, 2019 and 2020, uh, that sort of weird 2020 year with the Mets. But still, uh, you would think that a guy who was in his early 30s would get another chance and, and certainly not veer off where he did. And where he veered off, as he explains, was going up to Vermont and building a house with his brother. Now, when we say building a house, I'm not talking about hiring someone to build a house. He built the house. He built the house with his hands. So this is what he was doing. He spent the entirety of 2021, that first full year, out of Major League Baseball, building a house with his brother that obviously was around this, this past year. And then, you know, so it, the question remains, what happened? Where did Rick Porcello go? And the other question is, what is Rick Porcello's plans? Well, both are newsworthy, but you're going to have to listen to the podcast to find out. And this was all, by the way, thanks to the great people at the David Ortiz Celebrity Golf Tournament down at Marco Island. Raised over a million and a half dollars for kids who need little, little, little kids who need heart surgeries. Every five grand paid for a heart surgery. Great cause. We talked about it a lot in the, in the past. Got a chance to catch up with a lot of people that we haven't seen in a long time. And we'll talk about that going forward on future podcasts. But this is the Rick Porcello. Rick Porcello deserves his moment in the sun, both figuratively and literally. And that's exactly what we're going to give him. All right, here you go. Rick Porcello makes his return to the Bradfoe Show. We found him. <laughs> we found him, Rick Porcello. Tell me, Rick, where you've been. Uh, well, I just said that, but you weren't taping, so now I'm not going to repeat everything. You've been in Washington, you've been in South Carolina, you've been in Florida, you've been yeah. in Vermont. I get the part, I got the, we got the part about the house, I'm going to edit that together. Uh, you built the house, but you've yeah. been all over. So, uh, but it is good to see you here. We're here at the David Ortiz Celebrity Golf Tournament, which you've never been to, but I have numerous times. But honestly, I was super happy when I saw you in the list. It was a 50% chance I thought you weren't coming, but you watched, I mean... <laughs> I mean, it's beyond. I, I, I haven't seen, no one's seen you. Where are you, I mean, yeah, no one. By, by design. Is it? Yeah. Is it by design? <laughs> I, so, um, 
all sincerity, you, you've been up in Vermont a lot, but you had been up in Vermont. You had roots up there even when you were playing, right? Yeah, my, uh, my parents had a property up there since 1988, so I've grown up, you know, going up there and spending my summers and falls, and we do all of our family holidays up there, so uh, it's been enjoyable to spend more time there and, um, you know, actually starting to learn a little bit more about, uh, you know, I guess lack, lack thereof of resources for a lot of the, the young ball players up there, so starting to try and get involved with uh, some of the little league organizations and try and figure out if we can bridge the gap for some of these kids that don't have, um, you know, the indoor facilities or the fields or the direction and training or anything like that that, you know, some other kids have in, in other states. Uh, so it's been fun learning that, and I'm really looking forward to trying to help those kids out. So now you're getting to, you've officially now become part of the Baseballs and Boring crew, uh, which, by the way, did you know that I wrote a book to Joe Kelly? No, I, I, well, actually, I didn't know, but uh, I did not read it. Well, it's not out yet, so there's... Okay. All right. Well, send, I'll, send me a copy. I will. Sign I will. I'll sign, send you a base. on my mantle. <laughs> <laughs> Pretend to read it. Oh, it's great. Um, but anyway, it's great that you're doing... You have always... I, I just gave this example, um, and I mean it. Like, you were one of my favorites to cover, um, and I used many, many examples, including all the podcasts we did in spring training with the aforementioned Joe Kelly, yep. uh, which you're always welcome back if you want to come back down to Fort Myers. I appreciate that. And all these nice things you're saying, I don't have a lot of pocket cash on me right now, so no, I'll no, go to well, ATM. And, this is I'll what, get you later. There's a lot of free stuff flying around <laughs> here right now. But, it's, um, but you know, I, one example I gave was, like, we auctioned, I would have run the marathon, and we auctioned off uh, instruction for a, a young, I think he was a 12 years old, you took him out to the bullpen, and taught him, um, not only, it took, you know, it'll be 20 minutes, you were out there for an hour, but the reason I bring that up is because you could tell, like, I give this example of how, like, major leaguers love that, like, you were playing for the Red Sox, you were in the grind of the season, but it felt like, okay, this was your path. Am I wrong? Am I, I mean, it felt like this was, man, you really loved doing that. No, I, I did. I had a lot, of, a lot of fun that day and look forward to doing it more. I think when you look at young kids that are, you know, aspiring ballplayers, we've all been in that position at one point in our lives. And those are times that I look back on fondly and, and uh, you know, to be able to, to take a kid out to the bullpen and teach him is, is hopefully something that I'll never forget. I know whenever I went to a big league game and, you know, my parents would take us there for batting practice. If I got a baseball signed or thrown to me during batting practice, instantly that guy was my favorite player, and I'd follow. Yeah, him, so. dude, we, we just talked about this. So we just had Brett Phillips on the Baseballs and Boring podcast. He said, "You know how I can tell you how you can grow the game by fifty percent is having everybody sign an autograph or just wave because that impacts that person so much. So that's, that's what you're talking about. Absolutely, and, and to be honest with you, I wish I had done it more while I was playing. You get caught up in the grind and, and what you need to do to help the ball club win and you kind of get you get in your own world a little bit and sometimes you don't appreciate the impact that that has but that, that's what the game is all about I mean it, it's about the fans and the kids and, and making memories for them mm-hmm. alright um, so said when you were playing I want an MLB trade rumors link oh sorry man I just spit on you um, uh, are you retired yeah, I'm pretty much done. I haven't signed the papers yet because I'm, you know, my agent's pretty much done with me now that uh, I'm not playing anymore. So, 
maybe if he, uh, you know, I'll pick up the phone, give him a call, and, and sign the retirement papers. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm done. Okay, so can, so you can say we, if it's it's just as good as papers. You can say this is Rick Porcello, <laughs> and I want to tell all the listeners that I'm retired. Yep. Well, you just did it for me, but uh, this is Rick Porcello. I want to tell all the listeners I'm retired, and thank you for the great memories, and uh, you know, just thanks for everything. I tell you what, we were talking about. We were just talking with Barry Larkin, name drop, about the Hall of Fame, um, and you know, your name will come up. And you know, I always like, I'm always wary of voting for guys um, because I like them. Um, I would, but you, you would test that. I would actually want to vote for you. And you had a good run. You won a Cy Young, which holy mackerel, you won a Cy Young, like. Again, congratulations on winning the Cy Young. And 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 this is another thing. I, I this is you came down here to the David Ortiz Celebrity Golf Tournament to basically for me to praise you. I, you know why? Because I'm trying to get you out of Vermont a little bit more. To be honest with you, the only reason why I came is because I saw you were going to be here. Wait, so that, that's, that, that and obviously the kids, <laughs> the children's the kids. But uh, <laughs> I, I got to stop you because there's absolutely no chance that I should ever be in a Hall of Fame conversation. I'm honored for you to say that, but uh, you know I almost feel a little uncomfortable being here with some of these great players in the Hall of Famers like Barry Larkin because uh, I'm very fortunate. I, I was blessed during my career and, and to me the, the greatest accomplishment that I had personally and, and our team was winning the World Series in 2018. Uh, the Cy Young was incredible and I, I was honored to receive that award but I never would have been able to do that without the teammates that I had and, and the support system that they provided and standing behind me every day and you know, chesting up ground balls and catcher Sandy Leone and Christian Vasquez and all those guys. I mean, those guys were just as much a part of that award as I was. So I look at the uh, the World Series as something that, you know, that, that to me was the crowning achievement of my career and I'll never forget. I didn't say I was going to vote for you for the Hall of Fame. I said I was thinking about it. How presumptuous of you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know how I'd get in that conversation. That's why I'm trying to Well, you're going to be on the ballot. so Again, you, yeah. I, I have no pocket cash on me. Totals rising rapidly. In the past, when we did the podcast in the past, how you would pay me by leaving the tip at Twin Peaks <laughs> <laughs> at Fort Myers. Well, part of the reason why I went is because you said that the burgers and the wings were on you. So. Well, they were. I was, but you, but you were very generous with leaving the tip you didn't have to do that joe certainly didn't um that's so. why he makes great content for a book <laughs> that's chapter six um <laughs> so so take take me back to um because i listen i mean i have to ask because i haven't seen you and i and we talked briefly and when i asked you about it you said well, come up to vermont buy me a beer and i'll tell you and i tried and you claimed there was no cell reception or something i don't know no that's because that that, that damn house took a hell of a lot longer than uh, we thought it was going to take so we're still working on no that's fair that's fair so t- talk to me about like what you know the when you came to grips or what happened when it came to of, of making that transition like you said i'm not going to say like leaving baseball because you're not leaving baseball Ma- making that transition from major leaguer of chasing major league teams of chasing that job to doing what you're doing now yeah, I, you know, there's a lot of personal stuff in there that I probably not want to get into. But I think the bottom line was I, I was very fortunate to have the the years that I had in the big leagues. I think COVID lent some perspective on my life, and uh, I wanted to be with my family, and I wanted to to you know get back into that type of a, a lifestyle and be around them because every year that you're gone playing ball, you know, is another year where your parents are getting older. You're your brothers and all that stuff are getting older and uh i don't know you know i think covid probably impacted a lot of people like that and 
I was no different. Did people, did teams reach out? Yeah, there was some interest, but I had two horseshoe years back to back, so not that much interest. <laughs> I mean, listen, I can, I, can, I can rattle off a lot of people who had worse years than you, who had a lot of interest. And, but it's, you know, I, I think that it's funny because not only does your name come up over the years about like being a good guy, being a good clubhouse guy, but also sort of the evolution of pitching. And we talked even when we were playing. I always enjoyed the conversations about the evolution of pitching where, uh, you know, they're going away from the sinker balls. Now they're like prioritizing high fastballs and everything else. And it, it, it seemed like there was, for you, like obviously you, you were bread and butter with a sinker, but you also were a student of pitching. Was, was pitching going like in a direction that was not fitting for you or, or how did you view that? You know, I think sometimes you look at the game, you look at what's being successful the last couple of years, obviously the high spin rate, forcing fastball has been very successful, the sharp breaking balls, and the game goes through evolutions and cycles. I remember when I first got to the big leagues, the cutter was the big pitch. Nobody could hit a cutter. Mariano kind of, you know, everyone looked at that, and, and he dominated with one pitch, and everyone started throwing a little cut fastball, and then that got, the hitters caught up to that. And, and it's always it's always changing, and I'm sure the sinker will come back around. It already kind of is. Mm. I think for some guys that have a really good one, they're, they're back to being able to be effective because now it's not a pitch that hitters are seeing as much. But, uh, you know, I, I think I was maybe at times trying to chase what was – being successful in the game and not sticking to what I was always successful with and maybe got lost a little bit there in my last year in Boston was working on trying to get that back uh, you know with the Mets and then COVID hit and um, some other things changed for me but you know it's it's always a constant evolution and and hitters change their swings to, to start hitting certain pitchers that pitches that pitchers are being successful with and vice versa so uh i don't necessarily think that it got away from what i could do successfully i just didn't do what i did best well anymore yeah but just and i'm sure you had voices too who said oh you can't even though you're a two senior guy you can't do that because no one's doing that that's not the way baseball's going and i saw i've seen that with other guys too and this is the bigger conversation about baseball and i remember um Maybe this isn't an apples to apples thing, but we had Joe Madden on the podcast and he was talking about how he said, you know, like when a manager starts a game now, he has too many voices in his head. Can you relate to that a little bit? I think that there's there's definitely more people that are are contributing to strategy and, and that sort of thing. And ultimately, when you're the one on the field or if you're the one that's writing the lineup, I've never been a manager, so I can't speak for them, but you you still are the person that's making those decisions, and I think it's still up to you to to be able to decipher what is right and what is wrong for that particular situation. Um, The the new people that are in the game, whether it's analytics department, they're they're there to help, and they're there to lend advice and, and try and nudge you in the right direction based off of what they see. When I first got to the big leagues, everything was feel. You could see a guy with a 90 mile hour fastball blowing hitters away and you'd just see he's got a sneaky fastball. You didn't realize that he had an incredible spin rate and there was that that part of it involved. So, um, you know, I'm definitely not going to take anything away from uh, I guess the newer game. I yeah. think that it's... It's all good. Better. It's yeah. just, it's, I think that there's a balance and when new things come into play, it becomes very popular, and, and then it starts to settle back into a balanced, you know, centralized approach. How about the? And I talked to Brock um, 
talked to Mitch Moreland about this this year, about the valuing or devaluing of clubhouse guys, of the importance. And like one of the, undeniably, you were one of the leaders of that team, certainly a leader in the, on the pitching staff. And and now we see it where, and I do think this is cyclical. I do think it's coming back a little bit. There's an understanding, but there's definitely like, oh, to your point, oh well, you know. He doesn't have that spin rate. He's a good guy, and he's important to the club, but he doesn't have the spin rate. I'm going to go with a guy with a 5 ERA with a spin rate we're going to fix. You know, how important do you think is having sort of that those clubhouse guys? Because obviously you guys are 2018. I think you said you guys said you never even have a team meeting, right? Something like that. I don't know. Maybe I forgot that, but <laughs> but something. But it was, like, it, was, it was like okay, okay, chapter seven. Like, uh, but it was. But how important is that? And do you think that that is is something that has to be a little value a little more? Uh, I think it is very important because no matter how talented your team is on paper, or how many guys that have a good spin rate fastball, every team experiences ups and downs throughout the course of the season, and those types of leaders, the guys that know how to win ball games, that are going to go out there and you know, hit a ground ball to second base to move a runner over, or a guy that can make a clutch pitch in a tough situation, or just somebody that's able to pick up, you know, somebody that's struggling in the clubhouse and go put your arm around them and, and talk to them. That's, uh, that's valuable. And I saw the value in that from a lot of the veteran guys when I was coming up in the big leagues. And I tried to embody that a little bit when I became a veteran, and, and it's just, uh, you know, I think it's something that's important. I think it's something that can really help teams win. If you, if you start to get into that valley and, and kind of start to ascend back into the peak, you need those guys that are, are about winning ball games and not so much about the, I guess, the video and the analytics and, and their, you know, their pitching mechanics or their swing. You, you need some guys in there that are going to go grind it out. You know, one of the guys... This in the current group, or the current group being last year, was Garrett Whitlock and uh, falling around Valdi. Valdi, like the last couple of years, Whitlock followed around Valdi everywhere, and um, and I, I thought it was cool that, that Whitlock identified you as another guy. I don't even did you ever talk to him at all? Uh, we we texted back and forth. I haven't had the pleasure of meeting him in person yet. Been trying to stay away because this is this is his time to shine now. But just try to give him some encouraging words. You know, this spring when I, I found out that he was a, a fan of mine. I'm not sure why, but uh, you know. well, he liked to he listened. Uh, I'm he's just kidding. No, no, no. But he's so he's the, a hell of a pitcher. He, well, the latest news. I know that all the drama last spring training, but the latest news. If you go to the Red Sox website now, number 22. I know, I know. Did he? Did he? Is that has that been like so, recent weeks that he cleared this? Or Valdi's been kind of my pipeline into it, and he said that Whitlock was nervous uh, about asking her clubhouse guy about wearing 22. I'm like, I'm a, I'm a nobody. He he needs to wear uh, it and make it his own. So uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm excited to see him out there in 22. It's a good number, and it treated me well in Boston. So you gave, but I mean, this is this this is a recent development. I mean, this is this is this is a, he's number twenty-two, and has this been cleared the last couple of weeks? Or oh, it, it was cleared in spring training. You know? Oh, last year, but there was yeah. like a Derek Holland thing going on, or something. I don't know what. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Twenty-two. I don't know what was going on. There was a lot of chaos with number twenty-two. But but you you gave you gave the blessing, and he was just deferential. He said, "I'm going to keep number seventy-two for another if, year." If it was my blessing to give, yes, I, I did give it. But, oh, that's uh, you. Ultimately, Tommy Mack, the clubhouse manager, has got to be the one to put it in. His How did you get twenty-two? This is why. This. Well, I, twenty-one was always my number, and, and uh, when I came. 
I wore 48 my first couple years in Detroit because when you're a young guy, you don't get to pick your number. And then I switched over to 21, and when I got traded to Boston, I wanted to wear 21, and that number was not available. So I just it was either 20 or 22. Wade Miley took 20, and I took 22. Ooh, I have a great picture of Wade Miley. You got those T-shirts? You know the T-shirts? The Heasy Ace T-shirt? That was... It was a weird time. Okay, that didn't work out. But it was. But this. That's what I also remember is that like that it was great. You know, that was an awkward year. But then like how you got you got your deal. Um, I was so happy for you. I remember also you being super nervous. I've talked to you about this before. We may have done this on the Twin Beaks podcast. I don't know. But I never forget that day like before spring training broke. And you were like super like nervous and didn't want to talk. And it's because like you had a deal done. And that's a good feeling though. You know, right? I mean. Yeah. It was definitely a great feeling. Obviously, it changed my life. And I can't thank Mr. Henry and Mr. Warner and at the time, uh, Mr. Lucchino enough for that. It's again, it's life changing when you can sign a contract like that. But, you know, when you're in that position, you kind of listen to the people around you and they tell you not to say anything and, and all that sort of stuff. So I was come on, just following the guidance. Come there. on, and, yeah, you were you were tough. You never you never stop. So I actually, well, I had nothing else to do. I mean, honestly, you know how it is in spring All we deal is contracts. I also remember in Seattle, uh, workout day. Oh man. You were fired up that day, yeah. right? That, that's, so now that we're here and you're, you're a few years away, I said this. This is what said. This is just us not talking, two guys talking about yesteryear. So sales signs his deal. Uh, you want to sign a deal. And it was a workout day. So as I said, I have nothing else to do but talk contract. So I'm walking. I was like, I have to check off this box, okay? And you're like, okay. Sit down. Here's what happened, which I loved. Like I appreciated. Like this, you were so. Forget. I'm not gonna praise you anymore. Uh, but anyway, it was it was it was good because you you said what you need to say at the right times, and I felt like that was the right time. Like that was a. I've never had a player for me. Other people have, but I never had a player who was like, okay, let me articulate this the perfect way so there's not any confusion. Do you remember that? Yeah, no, I, I do, and, you know, I think, uh, I don't think so much about that conversation as I do about just wishing I had performed better in that, that season in 2019. It's, it's one thing to express a desire to stay somewhere, but then, you know, if it doesn't happen at that particular time, you got to go out there and, and continue to, to prove why you deserve to be there, and I failed at that, and, and you know, that, that was that. I don't have any uh, really hard feelings about it. I mean, it, it's... It's a business, and that's how you got to look at it. Um, but, you know, I'm glad you appreciated that conversation. It was good. <laughs> no, it was, it was literally like, was like, okay, stop, pause. Now I'm going to tell you what was what, which I appreciated because if nothing else, it was an off day. Um, <laughs> but, it, but how tough – you talk about a contract year. This is another sort of big picture sort of thing. We look at judges having a contract year. We look at guys have a contract. Like, having gone through it, can you appreciate how every, – because everyone's different, right? Can you appreciate how difficult or how what accomplishment that is to actually have a good year in a contract year? Yeah, I, I think, you know, obviously for me, I, I struggled with it. For, Did you think about it, though? Was it a thing? Uh, if I'm being honest, at that particular time, I obviously I wanted to continue to be a Red Sox mm-hmm. and, and uh, potentially finish my career in Boston. And when it didn't happen, you, you – 
you know, it's you can be a little sensitive and let some emotions come in that, that really shouldn't be there when you're going out on the field looking to win ball games. But uh, that's it's really speaks to the season that Judge had. I mean, he he bet on himself and, and went out there and absolutely dominated. And uh, that's that's incredible to do because not everyone can do it, and it takes a lot of mental fortitude and, and you know just inner strength to be able to block out all the noise and go out there and perform on a daily basis and he did that so it was incredible and my hat's off to him this year last thing what are you going to do now like what besides build you're going to build another house so you're going to become no, a pitching coach no, are you that, gonna... the house thing sounded like a great idea before we did it and then we got like six or seven months in and we weren't even halfway done yet and how many bedrooms is it is it like a pedroia house or is it like no, no, a bradford house honestly I, well i've never seen your home before well it's, let's just but, say it's uh, not a pedroia house it doesn't have seven christmas yeah, trees it's definitely not a pedroia house this would be like pedroia's tool shed in the back <laughs> it's, uh, it's a it's a timber frame home we built it up uh, by Mount Snow in, in southern Vermont. Um, it's got uh, four bedrooms, and it's just like a little ski rental place for people to enjoy when they're up in the wintertime skiing or over the holidays and mm. that sort of thing. What's the hardest thing about building a house? Uh, the, the nails? Mi- the, the miter cuts. We put a, we put a big... Okay, wood, everyone wood. knows that. Come on. Yeah, well, <laughs> you, you asked me. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. We put, like, a, big, we put a big wood uh, wraparound... Uh, porch on it and we had these big wood beams that we actually milled from some of the trees that we cut down on the property and Ooh, we gotta, you cut down the trees i didn't cut down the trees the excavator oh. <laughs> but we used them we, we we used them we recycled them um but yeah those those cuts were pretty tough and being somebody that doesn't know a damn thing about carpentry it, it took a couple took a couple tries so but uh, it turned out all right what do you so what do you want to do what's 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 the plan i want to i want to start getting involved with youth baseball especially in new england uh obviously with my roots in vermont i've been learning a little bit more about some of the communities up there and, and the lack of resources for some of the kids that are up there you know there's basically no indoor facilities for these kids to, to train in in the winter time and, and where i grew up in new jersey there's an indoor facility yeah. almost in every town so yep. want to try and uh, be able to bridge that gap give them somewhere to go in the winter time so that they don't have to drive an hour or two hours over to new york or you know somewhere else where they they can go hit in a cage and um you know just just try and provide some guidance there's a lot of kids that are getting hurt now at a, at a youth age and sometimes it helps to to hear from somebody that's been there that you don't have to be throwing all winter long or you know if you are going to be throwing that there needs to be some consistency to it you can't take two or three weeks off and then go throw your 15 pitches for a tryout that's that's a recipe for injury and just try and uh, use my knowledge and, and help these kids i mean and whatever facet i can help them whether it's just training mechanics you know giving them directions on throwing programs and trying to keep them healthy and enjoy the game and, and kind of you know, spread baseball a little bit around New England and, and get them excited about it. In all sincerity, like that's one of the things that Joe and I talked about, and we, Rich Hill's been coming on the podcast to talk about it as well, about the dynamic of youth baseball, and especially with AU and stuff like that. Because, and you tell, I'm anxious to get your thoughts on this, is that you have you have these kids who, whereas it used to be 10 years old, you get competitive with little Joey across the street. Now, because of YouTube, because of Instagram, the, the parents are saying, hey, you know, I just saw the six-year-old just do this. We got to do this. And do you, do you, do you, I don't know if your involvement, if you see that, that, that there's so much pressure to keep up with the Joneses in this regard. There is, and it, it's, it makes it very difficult for these kids. I was a three-sport athlete up until my 
you know, sophomore, junior year of high school. Um, I think playing various sports keeps you athletic, keeps baseball fresh so that you're not getting burnt out. And with the travel ball things, a lot of these towns, you know, the, the best two or three players get kind of picked off and go on the travel ball team, which is perfectly fine. That, that You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But it also leaves a lot of the other kids in town kind of left behind with, you know, maybe nowhere to play because the town teams are, are no longer in existence or, or whatever it is. So I don't think that there's anything wrong with travel ball, but the competitiveness and the idea that you have to be playing all year long and you've got to be on all these travel ball teams really, I think, can kind of take the enjoyment out of it. And, you know, kids need to be kids. They need to be able to enjoy baseball and not feel like they've got to be at a showcase every weekend or whatever it is and just enjoy the game. And that's, that's to me, first and foremost. When you develop a passion and a love for it, then the other stuff comes later. I mean, the other thing is when you're talking about 10, 11, 12-year-old kids, I mean, these guys, their bodies aren't fully developed yet, and they're going through workloads that are not all that far off from a professional ball player's workload nowadays. And, you know, there's got to be an understanding that it's going to take time for their bodies to develop, and there's other ways to train outside of, you know, constantly throwing a ball or swinging a bat and going to play in, in, in tournaments. You can do plenty of things that refine your skills without putting a workload on a, on a young kid's shoulder, elbow, or mm-hmm. spine, or whatever it is. That's a good answer. You're going to be good at this. Congratulations. <laughs> All right. Well, you're good at podcasting. Right. Welcome back anytime. Thank you. Thanks for having me.